welcome to an encouraging message from Pastor Kenneth Bent, an associate pastor here at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We are so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Well, the Lord is good, amen? So it's my privilege to get to uh, teach a little bit today, and that's what I'm going to do. Um, And so we're going to talk about the life of Joseph today and uh, try to make it uh, nice and succinct. You know, Pastor Ron's family Bible series, if you've been listening at all or watching any of that or if you've been in church uh, lately, he's been teaching about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of course, great patriarchs. Uh, And they're important to all of us. And it's important for all of us to be... um, more familiar with uh, Bible characters. I think if we took a general survey, probably wouldn't include you folks because all of you here, I can tell, are, are readers of the Bible and uh, you're probably, some of you grew up in church or at least you've been in church for quite a number of years, but if you haven't or um, perhaps um, you just um, haven't spent a lot of time um, in the Word of God, then you're less familiar with uh, these important Bible themes and Bible characters. And so we all need refreshing and re-instruction, especially for the next generation, right? Sometimes we need to re-familiarize ourselves with Scripture so that we can pass on what we know. And I think if we did a survey, we would find that a great deal of people who come to church even on a regular basis don't know the basics about the, the uh, biblical patriarchs and don't know, even uh, haven't thought beyond just uh, knowing the basic Sunday school story uh, to uh, applying it to our lives and to seeing the larger, um, the larger thematic structure of Scripture. And if you know anything about me, you know that that's my heart. Um, is uh, more technically called biblical theology, which doesn't mean theology of the Bible. It means um, understanding the thematic connections all through the Scripture in order to form a more holistic application of truth to our lives and to see the themes that God amazingly interwove through the Scriptures, right? And uh, to make those connections. Many churched people do not have a clear grasp on how important these stories are or what their intent is. And so for that matter, if you know this stuff and if you know some of these connections that I'm going to make today, then let me commission you in the name of the Lord to pass them on to the next generation, to those who don't know uh, about Jesus, to those who may may know just a little bit about Jesus, right? And do not make the assumption that everybody you talk to in America or in our community knows about the Bible or the Bible stories or why they're even in the book. And uh, don't make that assumption because they will miss out on the truth that you can communicate to them. Amen? Let's learn to be disciplers. And um, we need to understand why they're in the Bible, why we're... They, these stories, these characters, why did they live their lives and then why was it written down in God's holy word by godly people through the Holy Spirit? So today we're going to visit the story of Joseph. You know, in the late 1800s, there was a great man of God who preached thousands of sermons. His name was 
uh, F.B. Meyer. And F.B. Meyer was a great, great lifelong friend of somebody you probably have heard of if you know anything about uh, early American church history, and that is D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody. So F.B. Meyer and D.L. Moody were great friends. And one of the things that F.B. Meyer wrote and preached about Joseph, he preached some 16,000 or some incredible number of sermons. If you think about it, in the late 1800s, it's not because they had the Internet, right? <clears throat> and uh, Joseph, he preached that Joseph was beloved, hated, and then exalted. And that's a great uh, overview of Joseph's life. He was beloved by his father. He was favored by his father. Um, he was hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, um, and yet God prospered him and showed him kindness and grace. And then after he was exalted, the Lord brought his family back to him, and Joseph was able to forgive them, and there was reconciliation. A beautiful story. So we need to read enough Bible in order to make the connecting points throughout the Scripture to consider the broader thematic structure. For example, let me, let me just put it this way, um, and I like how the scholar James Hamilton puts it. When you take the words, for whom the bell tolls, right, and you just separate those words out, well, of course, they, they you know, granted, you know, that each individual word can be used in a sentence. But when you combine them together, right, you take these individual pieces of information, but when you link them together, then and they, they, they become something else, right? They become something else. So, for whom the bell tolls, if you take each word on its own, it doesn't, it doesn't make the linkage, right? So, it's important to read the Scripture and not just say, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph... Israel, Canaan, you know, uh, Babylon, captivity, Jesus, apostles, the end of time. That's okay, right? And to take these main characters from each of those segments of the Bible. But when you see how much the Bible connects, interconnects all of these themes and ideas, then the Bible will come alive to you, right? And so then when you put for whom the bell tolls, what do you get? What do you get? Who wrote for whom the bell tolls? Or, you know, who was it? Anybody know? Of course, it's Hemingway, right? So Hemingway, though, is quoting John Donne, right? And so we, we make the connection when we understand more of the background. Individual verses in the Bible while making sense on their own. Rejoice in the Lord, you know. Uh, you know, all these individual verses that are your favorite verses that you could probably quote me four or five or ten or whatever. Favorite verses, you know. My God will supply all my needs. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, we can quote those verses, but without the context, they're just verses. Right? They're anointed. They're gifted. They're graced by God, but they're just verses. They're just verses, just words. Individual verses in the Bible, while making sense on their own, don't by themselves convey the whole story of redemption. So we need a broader approach 
and careful reading and familiarity is better over the long haul, right? So, for example, when I was a child, every breakfast time we had a little, and sometimes at Sunday dinner as well, we had a little box. And in that box were little tiny cards. And on each tiny card was written a scripture verse. This was called a promise box. Is anybody familiar with that? Promise box. It was a great practice. We would pass the little box around. Each member of the family would pick out a little, little scripture verse, and we would hold up the scripture verse. And then each of us would read the scripture verse. Well, it was great. We learned the scripture. You know, we, we were challenged by what we read, but they were just individual verses, right? There wasn't the connection. In the long run, it only becomes a source for our favorite single verses with no context. All right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, that doesn't mean that you'll suddenly become an Olympic athlete tomorrow because <laughs> the Lord has, you know, strengthened you. So we take verses out of context, right? We individualize the verses and we lose the context. So that's what I want to do today is look at the life of Joseph and then make some of these connections, especially as he relates to David and ultimately to Jesus. Interesting thing. The story of Joseph is contained in chapters 37 through 50, give or take the parts to do with Judah, his brother. All those chapters in Genesis. And yet, Joseph is only mentioned about twice in the New Testament. Interesting. Psalm 110 is quoted far more times in the New Testament than Joseph is even mentioned. But yet Joseph takes up this large bit of the whole pericope, of the whole group in Genesis. It's very interesting. So we have to then make these connections some other way. And in case you don't know it, I'm preaching less and teaching all right, I'm teaching you this morning because it's kind of like a Sunday school, right? So let's briefly go over what happened in Joseph's life. This won't be exhaustive, but quickly. So Joseph's father, Jacob, moves his family to, from Haran to Canaan. Joseph is about age six, Genesis 31. And then when Joseph is 17 years old, he brings up a bad report about his brothers to his dad. Well, his, his brothers are getting kind of mad at him for doing that, you know. It's not good. But Joseph is favored by his dad, and his dad gives him this coat of many colors. And ultimately, Joseph is sent to check on his brothers who are shepherding their flocks in another area. He goes to check on them, and his brothers decide they want to kill him. So Judah speaks up. And who was it, Reuben, maybe, speaks up for him and said, oh, no, let's, let's not kill him. Let's just put him in this pit. Let's go eat, and let's think about it. And so then the next day, instead of killing him, they sell him to these Midianite traders who are hauling significantly some spices that have to do with the, the birth of Jesus. But anyways, Joseph's grandfather Isaac dies when he's 29. 
So anyway, Joseph, at 17 years old, is sold into slavery in Egypt. He's eventually sold to this Egyptian ruler, or quasi-ruler, serves under Pharaoh, has a big house. God gives him favor. Starts to prosper. His wife, Potiphar's wife, tries to tempt Joseph. Joseph refuses. He is, in a sense, the new Adam in a new generation who refuses the temptation of Adam in the garden. Joseph serves Potiphar, does well. Then he's falsely accused. This guy tried to rape me. Joseph then is in prison more, and, and he interprets the dreams for the cupbearer and the baker in prison when he's about 28 years old. His grandfather dies when he's 29. And then at 30 years old, significant number, by the way, Jesus being 30, think about it. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, and he's released from prison. Then from 30 to 37, there's seven years of plenty. Then there's seven years of famine. And two years into the famine, Joseph's brothers come to him not knowing, because Joseph has been elevated by Pharaoh to second in command of all of Egypt, and they don't recognize him, but he knows who they are. They come seeking for grain. And after an amazing story in chapter 41 through 47 in Genesis, then he finally reconciles with them. Then Joseph's father, Jacob, dies in Egypt, 56, when Joseph is 56. And then finally Joseph dies and his bones are carried out of Egypt during the Exodus with Moses, and they are buried in the Promised Land. Very significant. So the title of my message is Choose Mercy and Not Millstones. Why, why do I say that? For some reason, the other morning I woke up and the scripture came to me in Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus. Who then is greatest? He called a little child to him, placed a child among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to be offended or to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. And, and this scripture was just... It's kind of eaten away at me, like, you know, okay, what are, you, what are you saying to me, Lord? Why is this? What's the connection here? And then I began to feel impressed like the Lord wanted me to continue on this theme with, to do with the patriarchs and that sort of thing, and just sort of tying into what Pastor Ron has been sharing. And I realized that Joseph's brothers were the people who were offended in him as a child and he they caused him to stumble right they put him in a pit sold him into slavery in egypt this is not a pleasant thing at 17 years old or at any age right he's falsely accused he's re-imprisoned he was badly treated even with the favor of god on him and i love what the scripture says it says that while joseph was in prison the second time so to speak that the Lord showed loving kindness to Joseph. Now it's beautiful. Of course, in some ways, 
This capricious child, when he was young, brought it upon himself. He brought up an evil report about his brothers to their dad. And so he, he was, in some ways, you say, well, he made his own bed. You know, they hated him because he just was, you know, hard to get along with. You ever been hard to get along with? You ever brought up a bad report about somebody? Bad-mouthing people? But what was, what was, what does God want? He wants us to have mercy and not millstones. So his brothers deserve millstones around their necks because of the way they treated him. But Joseph gave them mercy because God had given him mercy. It's a beautiful thing. Joseph's greater brother, Jesus, was treated with disdain by his own family to some degree and also by his nation, by his people. But Jesus chose mercy while he suffered on the cross for us. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The greater Jesus, the greater, sorry, the greater Joseph is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Psalm 105, he called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. This was the Lord bringing famine to Egypt. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. Wow. This is what the Lord says about, uh, what Philippians says about Jesus, who being in the form of God caught it and called it, uh, called being in equality with God, not a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a bond slave. Right? So Jesus is the greater Joseph, right? They bruised his feet with shackles. Sound familiar? His neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass till the word of the Lord proved him true. Sometimes God has a purpose for us and that very word of promise is the very thing that will try us, test us to see if we will follow the Lord wholeheartedly or not. Until the word of the Lord comes. Amen. So we're tried by God's word. The king sent, that's Pharaoh, sent and released him. The ruler of people set him free. He made him master of the household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased and teach his elders wisdom. Here Joseph is making the best of his situation and becomes an instructor to the ungodly. This was the original call of Israel. You will be in Exodus later on stated in Exodus 19. You will be unto me a kingdom of priests. And they were to bring the light of the knowledge of Yahweh and his wisdom to the nations. All the nations would flow unto Zion. Amen. This was God's intent. And Joseph was a forerunner, a precursor of that. So then Israel entered Egypt. Jacob resided as a foreigner in the land of Ham. The Lord made his people very fruitful. He made them too numerous for their foes. And so the psalm goes on. So was Joseph a type of David? Was he a type of the Messiah? Absolutely. So let me tell you about how to read the Bible. How to read the Bible. I want to encourage you not to read the Bible just to get some kind of little snippet out of it. 
that sounds good to your heart. That's great, you know, because the Bible's inspiring, right? If you're looking, and if you seek God, He will speak to you. But I want you to pay attention to things like the plot line. Every story in the Bible has a plot line, and that plot line has a beginning, rising tensions, resolve and rescue, restoration, and a promise of new future. Every plot line in the Bible has the same thing. And really, it's the, that's how masterful the Bible writers were, right? They knew how to write great stories under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, yes. But these are great stories. A beginning, rising tensions, resolve and rescue, restoration and their new future. That's how the plot story applies even to the whole story of Scripture. The story begins, right? Then there's a tension when Adam and Eve fail. And then there is a resolve and a rescue through Christ Jesus and then ultimate restoration and a new future. That's the storyline of the Bible, right? So all of these Little stories are part of the huge macro story of the Bible. The character line, we have to pay attention to the character line. What does Scripture say about these characters? How does it depict the characters? This comes sometimes if we look at their names. They often convey meaning. We look at common repeated phrases, tall, short, many, few, we look at growth, failures, sins, repentant or not, humility, pride. Biblical characters are like mirrors, and they reflect back on us to teach us how not to be and how to be, right? So this is, you know, we look in, we look in a mirror darkly, right? But the Lord brings us revelation. The Spirit removes the veil. With all, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord who is the Spirit. Then we should look at key phrases. And we should look at patterns of events. We should look at what characters are used by God to help deliver people. Joseph's life, as an example, is a story of envy and attempted fratricide. You know, your brothers wanted to kill him. Deception, false accusations, preservation, forgiveness, restoration, provision, sacrifice. For example, in order to bring reconciliation, Joseph's brother Judah was willing to lay down his life in the place of Benjamin in order to bring reconciliation. He said, take my life. I'm the, I'll be responsible here. And that offer of self-sacrificial reconciliation was what helped break part of that vengeance cycle that Joseph may have been tempted with. Jesus' offer of self-sacrifice broke the judgment of God off of our lives as we received his sacrifice in our place. Amen? God's heart is always mercy. And then we see Joseph having great patience he went into captivity as a 17-year-old, and it was 13 years later before anything began to change. And he was forgotten about in prison. All kinds of stuff. 
And then we see Joseph, who has married, ultimately married an Egyptian woman, and he has two sons. One son, Manasseh. I have called him Manasseh because God has made me to forget. In other words, God has made me to forget the pain of my childhood, the pain of my loss, the pain of my imprisonment, the pain of my false accusation, the pain of even my own sin. Manasseh, God has made me forget. Then he has a second son who names Ephraim, which means double harvest. When at the end of, jo of Jacob's life, Joseph brings his two sons to Jacob, Jacob lays his hands on his right hand on the younger child, Ephraim, instead of Manasseh, who's the firstborn. Joseph says, no, no, wait, father, no, no, uh, you know, Manasseh's the firstborn. Jacob says, I know, but God's going to bless Ephraim. And so he puts his right hand on Ephraim and conveys the blessing of the firstborn essentially on Ephraim, double harvest. Joseph learned to choose the fact that God intends double harvest above just forgiveness. There's something greater than forgiveness, and that's harvest. What do I mean by that? There's something greater. We need the message of the cross, but there's something greater, and that is reaching the next generation with the gospel reaching the harvest this gospel must be preached to all the world and then the end will come we choose double harvest and i want to encourage you god has something more for you that's greater than just your forgiving people who have hurt you god wants you to forgive people who've hurt you god wants you to forgive yourself he wants you to get past all this through the grace of his forgiveness given to you Forgive one another even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That's, that is the fundamental message of the cross and the gospel, and we must never lose that, right? But you must get beyond the aspect of forgiveness to a place where you will then begin to concentrate on helping other people be discipled and come to Jesus because that's almost a greater calling. You get the forgiveness taken care of, but then you must go on, raise up disciples, and win people to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Choose double harvest. Some of the applications there. So let's look at a comparison very quickly. Don't have much time. Very quickly, comparing Joseph to David. And I think it'll come up on the screen. So David and Joseph. Both of them are spoken of as shepherding the flock. Joseph shepherds the flock. David is shepherding the flock. Joseph's brothers went off to shepherd the flock. David is commissioned, uh, uh, sorry, David's brothers went off to battle with Saul against Goliath and the Philistines. Joseph is sent by his father Jacob to check on the peace of his brothers. David is sent by his father Jesse to check on the shalom of his brother. Same, in, same phrasing in Hebrew. Joseph's brother called call, uh, Joseph this dreamer. Is this dreamer going to be the one? Because remember Joseph told his dreams to his dad and his brother and said, hey, I saw this. I had these dreams. You're, 
you're going to bow down. You know, like, you, all of you were bowing down before me. Well, that just made them mad. Instead of identifying with God's intended prophetic future for Joseph and the family, they took umbrage against it and got all upset and wanted to kill him. When God speaks to somebody else and gives them a great word, why don't we rejoice with it? Amen? Let's, let's enjoy what God's future is that he is trying to communicate. Because it wasn't just about Joseph. It was about the whole family. Anyway, David calls Goliath this Philistine. So both of these, the reason this sticks out is because they're both using a rare pronoun, rarely, rarely used in, in the Hebrew Bible. Joseph is given a coat of many colors, which also links uh, with the story of Judah and Tamar. And if you read chapter 37 and forward, you'll, you'll read about Judah and Tamar and this strange story, right? But it has great linkage. And I don't have time to tell you about it. Coat of many colors, Tamar is uh, and Amnon, the story of Tamar and Amnon in the family of David is linked there. Let not our hand be upon him, Joseph's brother. Only two times in the Hebrew Bible as they state their opposition to Joseph, and Joseph ends up in Egypt. But David, King Saul says of David, let not my hand be upon him. It's the same Hebrew phrase, right? So what the author is doing is there's linkage He is purposely showing there's linkage between the story of Joseph and the story of David. God acknowledges and favors Joseph, but he's rejected by his brothers and his kinsmen. God acknowledges and favors David, but he's rejected by his brothers and his kinsmen. Oh, oh, really? You mean, yeah, I got one son, his dad said. Jesse says, I got one son, he's out with the sheep. He's just young, you know, just like. Even Samuel couldn't figure it out until God spoke to him, you know. His brothers didn't want it, you know. Oh, it's just David. What are you doing here, David? You, you've come to spy on us while we're out here fighting with, the, with Philistines, you know. All right, who do you think you are? Same kind of stuff, right? Young, Joseph is a young son, son of an old father. David is the youngest son of an old father. Both are described as handsome. Uh, Joseph meets opposition from his brothers. So does David. Joseph succeeds. So does David. Joseph faces more affliction. So does David. Both prevail to bring deliverance. So does David. They were both pleasing to foreign kings. Joseph to Pharaoh. David to Achish. Uh, they were, Joseph was 30 years old when he ro- ro- rose to power. So was David. After coming to power, he forgave his brother and showed kindness. After David came to power... He forgave Saul and his descendants and showed kindness to Mephibosheth, the son of Saul. Like Moses, he met, uh, Joseph married uh, an Egyptian and had sons, and David also married a foreigner and had a son. Let's compare Joseph and Jesus now quickly. Joseph, 30 years old. Jesus, 30 years old. Je- Joseph tells his second dream. It says, Jacob kept this saying in mind. Now, this is from the... Greek version of the Old Testament, kept this saying, the rhema, in mind. Mary did the same thing in the Greek New Testament, kept these things, the rhema, in her heart about the Lord. 
Joseph was sold for silver. Jesus was sold for silver. Joseph in the dungeon with two other prisoners, one of whom lived, one of whom was destroyed or perished. Jesus was on the cross with two other prisoners, one of whom went to paradise, the other one perished. You see the linkage? This is on purpose. This is not haphazard. So why am I saying all this? Because I want us to read the Bible with a more fuller, broader understanding. And when you read the Bible, consider the links. Be familiar with these phrases so that you can go, oh yeah, that's just like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And make the link across the scripture because that way your Bible reading will be much more holistic and better for you. God's constant and faithful commitment to his people is the story of Joseph, despite their constant and unfaithful sins. I love how it sums it all up. Genesis 15, 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What a beautiful, beautiful thing that Joseph said. You meant it to me for evil. God intended it for me to good. You know, Joseph must have kept in mind through it all. Somehow, God gave him a dream. God gave him hope. God gave him a future. And somehow, he must have encouraged himself to the point where he trusted God's plan over and on top of the suffering that he was enduring. So then don't be afraid, he says. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph says in Genesis 45, 5, Now do not be upset and do not be angry with yourselves. Your fault. No, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. Because you sold me here. For God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Amen. Joseph went from pit to prison and then palace. They're rightly interpreted. In, as the work of God's plan to bring rescue, to save Egypt from starvation, his own family from starvation, to bring restoration and forgiveness to his, who his brother Judah, through whom the messianic line would come, through whom Jesus would come. The healing of Jacob's suffering as the, in the loss of a son, the realignment of prophetic intent were... were Ephraim's double harvest takes more precedence. Joseph is a faithful Adam who passes the test of temptation of Potiphar's wife to ultimately become a redeemer to Egypt in the famine, but also to include his Egyptian sons in the plan of God. Jesus, as Joseph, was favored by God, rejected by his brothers. Like like Joseph, Jesus passes the tests of temptation in the wilderness. He goes through the pit of death and fulfills his father's will to bring deliverance and salvation and give forgiveness and provide a table of blessing and sustenance for his people. Amen. Quick takeaways and then I'm done. How will we choose to treat people and those with whom God has given us relationship? How are we going to treat each other? Will we throw a child, Joseph, being 17, into a pit and face God's millstone? Will we be merciful and kind and given the opportunity to forgive those who have harmed us or spoken evil against us or treated us badly? Will we be redeemable like Judah who offered his own life in exchange and humbled himself? 
Will we choose forgiveness and a new future? Will we be a source of kindness and deliverance? Will we be faithful as our future word tries us, tries our hearts in order to see the Lord's will accomplished? Amen. Did you get anything out of this today? Thanks again for joining us for that powerful word from Pastor Kenneth Bent. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive many more encouraging messages from our pastors and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.